Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Is there anything it doesn't work for, turning it off and turning it on again? Well... I think it would be dangerous to turn something on again if it blew up and that's why you oh, turned it off. Good grief, obviously not that. No. Mm. Can we have just a bit a quick bit of um I think some relationships you shouldn't turn back on again. That's also true. If they've blown up, don't turn them on again. Well um, or, or if they've just switched themselves off. <laughs> yes. Um we've both been following the BBC drama Better and I've now finished and you've also finished. So yeah. we're we can't we don't want to do any spoilers. But if anybody is looking for something to replace the happy valley sized hole in their life, I you could do worse than better. <laughs> <laughs> Get it. Um, you could do worse than better. Uh, I mean you could do better than better. Because <laughs> that would be another series of Happy Valley. But it's a shame, isn't it, that we we both got to the end of it and, and both of us felt that Maybe they could have left something hanging so you could have series two, which would be called... Better again? Even better. Even better, of course, yeah. Better and better after that. (laughs) But they haven't done that. No. And it's an odd ending. If you've watched it, you might want to get in touch. Well, it's an odd ending. Uh, But also, can I just say, it's another of those dramas with some house porn in it. So there are a couple of spectacular houses, some very Farrow and Ball wall colours... It's it's I do slightly despair of TV drama in the sense that I very rarely see a real house portrayed, real living conditions actually displayed on screen. And what was so great about Sally Wainwright, who's our guest today, is that I think her shows do specialise in houses that look in some way attainable and possible and real. So the house, um, Catherine Kaywood's kitchen, for example, you you felt you might have been in a place a bit like that. Yes, and all of the houses for yeah for that series. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I know what you mean about the house porn, but quite often we're watching dramas where the one of the strands of the drama is you know somebody's done incredibly well, but it's from nefarious money. Mm. So they do have to have those enormous yeah. kitchen but, islands. But wouldn't they still have clutter? No, because someone comes in to take the clutter away. I don't, but I don't buy that. I, think, I quite like this. I think I, I think you're being a bit harsh here. Oh, I think it's one of my real, as you know, I write about television for the Radio <laughs> Times, and it's one of my recurring themes that I've yet to see, with the honourable exception of, of some some dramas, which I think are more realistic. It's like every character you see on EastEnders, you can tell they've just taken their shirt out of the wardrobe. It's ironed. 
It looks ridiculous. People very rarely have stains down their shirts by the end yeah. of the day, and I quite often do. In fact, I put this shirt on this morning, Jane. Yeah. I only bought it in Bulgaria, and I've already managed to get quite a lot of Bic biro on it. I don't think that's going to come off. Is are you, you're celebrating Bulgarian fashion today, aren't you? <laughs> I am. You want to take everybody through your... Well, I'm wearing your, your favourite. Just your kind of, favourite. Yes, my favourite. But, of course, lest we forget, uh, you and I are worth hearing on the subject of fashion and style <laughs> because this is the weekend. We, I mean, how anyone is going to sleep on Saturday night, I do not know. Because... So we are featured in a fashion shoot in the Sunday Times Style magazine. Oh, yeah. say, say it quickly and it might not be real. <laughs> We've seen it in both of us. God, Actually right. just had to look away. Yeah, we just couldn't look. So listen, if you're, um, if you're somebody who's riddled with self-doubt, take heart. Uh, from the fact that um, we did it, we did it, we turned it, we were asked to do it, and we did it. And we did it with smiles on our faces. Yes. Fixed smiles. Slightly I fixed grins. Um, but they were lovely people. And uh, and the clothes were gorgeous. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, the, yes, I mean, the no, pe- they were. Yeah, but I, I'm just never going to go for double denim. I'm really. <laughs> you did. You looked. <laughs> a little bit like you might have escaped from a cult and it was kind of your first day out yeah i mean or i might, or I might be a sort of roadie who's hit really hard times <laughs> you know somebody who worked for status quo in the 70s but has never has never had a good laugh since you know a, anyway look uh, it's all about me as long as it makes you chuckle and i think it will um you're roadie for out. a tribute band <laughs> yes seek it out on um sunday in the sunday times style oh, <laughs> Yeah, we didn't make the cover, though. I know we can't say who's on the cover for reasons neither of us understand, but for some reason they didn't choose us. No, they didn't. Leave it with a combined age of 118. Yeah. What is it now? Uh, Well, I'm 54 and you're 58. So that is 112. 112. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Why didn't they choose us? I do. There have been quite a few features in the Times and the Sunday Times recently about older women in fashion. (laughs) So I'm grateful to them. Can I just say, I am an old woman. I'm not in fashion. (laughs) And actually, I'm not that old. I should say, my mother is 89 on Sunday. So, you know, uh, the good news is (laughs) the Garvey women, not my mother's not a Garvey woman, of course, really, um, we just keep going. So I'm nowhere near my peak. That strikes fear into me. I know. Me. Can we um, do emails? Uh, we can, but can I just set in motion... Uh, set in motion. Best ever tribute band names. Yes, OK. Oh, and we must honour Jim Dale, Britain's leading meteorologist, who came on the radio show today. Uh, he has coined uh, the name of the... what? If, if you're not listening in Britain, this won't mean a lot to you, but hopefully it will make you laugh. Um, Britain, as you know, is very poor at dealing with any extreme weather conditions. We can only basically cope if it's sort of cloudy and about 14 Celsius and there's a possibility of rain. And then we're at ease with ourselves. Anything either side of that, colder, hotter, we can't cope, cope with it at all. And next week we're expecting what everybody's calling a weather event. Which is? Uh, what, you want me to, to name Jim's name well, for it? Well, we're, we're hoping, well, not hoping, we need to be careful here, we're anticipating some snow. Oh, yeah, uh, we're not hoping for no, it. Well, I'll be kind blooming, of... Run. No, be blooming miserable. We should be having spring. The daffodils should be out. Not cut ones, but, you know, actually in the ground. Okay, well, anyway. And we should all be able to get our ankles out. So we set Jim the task of coming up with a name because he was the man who coined Beast from the East a couple of years ago. And... Oh, the troll from the Trondheims. Yes. And, and this so time? This time, and he gave us this as an exclusive. Exclusive. But uh, rightly, I think, believes this will be everywhere by next week. Oh, he's right. Spring Thor. Yes, but how's Thor spelt? T-H-O-R. 
Yeah, you have to be slightly brainy. Um, well, and... you have to see it in print, don't you? Yes. That's what you have to see. Yes. And, I wonder, I and wonder... then you maybe get it even less. I don't know. Look, yeah. it might catch on. It, it might, might not. not. Yeah. But uh, but he has given it to us first. Mm. So we're grateful for that. Uh, so let's just start a tiny theme of tribute bands for the older person. So uh, this is, I'm nicking this from a friend of mine who came up with the Grey Stripes, which would be a good band to be in. And also Blurry, which is Blur for the older viewer. I like oh, them, Joan. Just call them the very vocals. Along. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Please, yeah. for once. Um, just a, a small animal news. Um, I, I thank you to the, I think it was Deborah. Do forgive me, Deborah, if I got that wrong. Deborah tweeted to say the reason that there are hedgehogs in New Zealand is that utterly, really quite irresponsible British people, when they emigrated, for some unknown reason, took hedgehogs with them as a reminder of home. And unfortunately, they have become really quite ginormous in New Zealand and very predatory to the natural so it's our Wildlife. fault. It Most as, things are. As ever, our yeah. fault, yeah. Now, we've got some very, very long emails. We probably won't be able to read out all of them. But I tell you what has got people going uh, is talking about loneliness. And I'm really glad it has. Because I think it's one of the hardest things to admit to and one of the hardest things to cure. So we just need to keep saying thank you to Olivia, who started all of this off by admitting that she came back from a friend's wedding, uh, feeling right old blue about the fact that everybody else seemed to have coupled up, uh, and that hadn't happened to her yet. And there have been some very, very good suggestions on how we might uh, approach the singledom of particularly kind of older and middle age. Uh, with a little bit more verve and a little bit more success. So this one, which I'm going to try and sub as I go along, in something, it's almost like a kind of radio presenter's test, this one. It comes in from Eleanor, who says, uh, my middle brother wrote in to suggest my littlest brother, currently working slash travelling in Australia, might be a potential partner for Olivia from Brisbane. And that was on yesterday's podcast or the day before? before. I can't remember. Anyway, Eleanor says, I hope that Olivia is feeling better after her wedding blues and I wanted to say that I know you suggested someone from outside the family as a reference, but my younger brother really is one of the best possible people and he and Olivia and all of your listeners deserve the best possible happiness. Also, I wanted to say that actually John the middle brother who wrote in, draw a diagram, himself, is also very eligible. And if there are any female listeners in the Leeds area... Come on, Leeds. He's just kind and wonderful and a caring and brilliant human and would be a fantastic or friend or partner to many off-air listeners. And on the point Richard Reeves was making, yesterday's big guest, about how society might be going backwards when it comes to male role models currently, I'd like to give a shout-out to kind men everywhere. And yes, while being a kind man is perhaps a low hurdle, as a mum to two boys, I really wish it were actually something that society at large would value much more highly. I couldn't agree with you more, Eleanor. And actually, in a little book, what Jane and I wrote uh, a couple of years ago now, now. Still out there. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> and if you got yourself a copy now, it would be in time for next Christmas. Yes. Uh, we do talk about this, actually, just um, being able to be in praise of the beta male rather than the alpha male. Uh, we uh, discuss whether or not that would just be a great starting point. So the alpha male is just ridiculous, isn't he? He needs to win everything. He needs to shove people out of the way. Mm. He quite often sees a woman for the value that it then gives him rather than anything that it might give her. You know, these are all just really odd things 
that seemed to cause the world quite a lot of harm. And the beta male is often the subject of derision, and particularly in film and literature. But sometimes from women, which doesn't yeah, help. I, know, I think from women more than men, mm. actually. They're belittled. But those qualities of not needing to come first, not to be victorious, not to see yourself in every situation uh, as being the person who needs to come out of it best, you know, that's that just makes families, relationships, workplaces tick on a little bit better. So your brothers sound absolutely lovely, Eleanor, and let's just start this and try and amplify it and see where we go. And can I mention this email too, um, because this is from somebody else who just says, uh, Olivia's email, basically, it struck a chord. It brought back all the memories of the endless conversations with my mum about how about trying something new or join a club in the vain hope that I would happen upon my Mr Right. I was living in France, I had a well-paid expat job and spent my days either working or taking part in some other active event or adventure. And this listener had a fantastic life, I mean, truly fantastic. Uh, Climbed Kilimanjaro, uh, went to the Maldives, numerous other countries on foot, bicycle and boat. I had a full life and I was so lucky to have the income to have all that fun but it still didn't quite lead to that elusive Mr Right. As a single 30-something woman living abroad, I also had my fair share of interesting situations, and this is good. Well, not good, it's intriguing. The cycling club wives cornering me at the annual club meal to make sure I wasn't about to steal their husbands, and the colleague's wife who phoned me to accuse me of having an affair with her husband. She clearly not looked at her husband recently as I wouldn't be going anywhere near him. I also recall the aching loneliness of Sunday afternoons in family-focused France. I must add, it was also the post-Bridget Jones era of life with smug marrieds and the checklist for the ideal Mr Darcy. So um, it's quite a long email, uh, as Fee says. So uh, this listener, I want to check, hang on, what's happened to her? I resolved to get on with my life no matter what. I focused on just making friends when I moved to my new home, still travelling loads and all the active adventures. Also going to weddings as the single friend or cousin, sitting at the singles table or the one in the distant corner. These are all memories now, as I'm 40 and I get married in six months today. Six months today, or oh, congratulations. I threw the Mr Darcy checklist in the bin and one of those friends I focused on making when I moved into my new home became my very best friend and the man I am marrying. He isn't tall or wealthy or without baggage, but what he is, is kind. And in the end, this is me speaking, does anything else matter? No. It really doesn't. So somebody once told me, uh, Jane, that kindness is close to wisdom or next to wisdom. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm not sure about that. I think you can be wise, but also not necessarily kind. But the older I get, the more I think that's bang on. Yeah, you because can't... kindness is a, is about always thinking outside of yourself, isn't it? Mm. And wisdom is always thinking outside of yourself. You know, seeing things yeah. and having a good old think about them. This has really got people talking. This I hope Olivia has heard some of the responses to her. Original and I hope email. it's not excruciating because sometimes you know you might pop an email off or put something up on Twitter. Yeah, and you, you don't want a massive reaction. If you want to see excruciating, Olivia, check out the Sunday Times style on... <laughs> you'll, know, you'll know what excruciating Share is Share in like. our pain. Yes, uh, but there are lots of uh, very helpful suggestions. And actually quite a few people on Twitter um, said that we should really think about that idea that was suggested yesterday with the married couples always taking a single, single person friend, along. Yeah. 
Because there's safety in numbers there as well, isn't there? And the knowledge that whoever it is you're meeting uh, has kind of been vetted by somebody else. And that's important too, because the world of the dating app has jeopardy in it, Jane. Jeopardy. I mean, there's jeopardy everywhere you look, to be fair. I mean, I have been set up by one or two friends and uh, I just hope they're not listening to our fair. Let's move on. Um, right. <laughs> We'll do dating experiences later. Maybe in a live setting with only two or three people with us. That's that's what I'd do. I'm not going to start talking about it here. Right, shall we do something that involves somebody else and not us? Yes, thank goodness. Yes, uh, let's talk about our big name guest today, an absolute cracker. It is Sally Wainwright. So she is behind so many great TV dramas. Happy Valley, Gentleman Jack, Scott and Bailey, The Last Tango in Halifax. I cannot wait for what she does next. Do you know what it might be? Yes, I do actually. What is it? It's The Ballad of Renegade Nell and it's on Disney Plus and it's about uh, a feisty, good word, uh, young uh, sort of highway woman figure. In fact, a friend of mine is doing some of the styling for it. Um, so yes, I've got showbiz pals. Excellent. Um, she won't be listening, so I won't mention her name. Hello, Sophie. Anyway, carry on. Uh, so we talked to Sally, obviously, about Happy Valley because it was such a water-cooler drama. Uh, but things that you might need to know in order for this interview to make sense. Uh, she also drove a bus. It was quite early on, before her career really took off. It was the 202 between Richmond and Hounslow in West London. Uh, and we do get to that in the interview too but we asked her in the beginning if she was pleased by the reaction to the ending of Happy Valley yeah I mean it was extraordinary the reaction I mean I, I don't um, I don't do social media at all these days um, just because I can't be bothered but, but I do appreciate um, how you know the, the wonderful things people were saying about it uh, people kept ringing me up and, and saying things like oh my god this is amazing do you realise how fantastic this is and I was like yeah it's good yeah but uh, uh, yes, yes, it, it does seem to have gone down very well. And obviously that's very pleasing. You know, you, you put all that work in and it's good to know that um, it's, it's get, you know, people appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it is relatively rare these days to have what they call, I don't know why we call it this, because we don't use the expression normally, but water cooler television. So moments that everyone is watching actually on terrestrial television and loving it and having a conversation about it the morning after, anticipating it on the day of broadcast. That is relatively rare these days, isn't it? Well, yeah, because the way we watch telly is just so different now to what it was five, ten years ago. You know, the BBC made a very conscious choice to to release it slowly, week by week. And it was quite a debate, you know, it went on for quite a long time, the conversation about whether it should be done or not. Um, and so it has to be my opinion, and I didn't really have one because, you know, I'm not a broadcaster. I don't kind of know the intricacies of, you know of how these things work and what the ups and downs of you know you know the pros and cons of why you would choose to do it or not to do it indeed but it was it was quite a big conversation that was had yeah it did seem to pay off it did seem to i think if it had gone out you know if it had been streamed straight away um you know i hope people would still have appreciated it but i wonder if it would have built up quite so i doubt if it would have built up quite so much momentum did you ever have any doubt in your mind about the ending with the alternative endings written um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, I could have done anything with the ending, is the truth. You know, it could have gone any way. But I suspect that there was probably only one really good ending. And hopefully that's the one we arrived at. Sarah and I had a long conversation because I handed the first draft in and 
everybody else seemed very happy with it, but she wasn't. And we had a very long conversation about it, and she she wanted to push things much further. I can't. I honestly can't remember the intricacies of it. My memory is terrible, and it's a long time ago. It's it's, it's over a year ago. But my memory of it is that she just wanted to push everything a lot further than I'd pushed it. Um, and she was right to do that. You know, she. The great thing about actors and talking to actors about the scripts is that they, no one knows them as well as they do because they have to learn the lines. You know, it's not rocket science. That they know them incredibly well. They know them better than I do because I don't have to learn the stuff. I just have to write it. Uh, well, I hope I know it as well as they do, at least, I should say. But it, it was interesting, the process of coming up with that scenario of how he could possibly end up in her house and that they could have a very private conversation together without anyone else realising that it was happening. Um, and it reminded me that in the first season, there was a conversation about her killing him at the end of season one. You know, when she beat him up on the barge. Part of the conversation then was that she, she murders him and got away with it. And we came back to season two knowing that she was this police officer on the beat who was a murderer and no one knew, which would have been a different kind of show altogether. But... It would. But is that what you're alluding to in Sarah Lancashire's desires, that she might have wanted to actually go out as a murderer? <laughs> um, I can't remember having that debate. I know she wanted to dispatch him. I, I, I think, you know, for me, there was a really clear kind of choice between having a pessimistic ending and an optimistic one and the, obviously the pessimistic one was that, that he murders her it just felt very wrong to go down that route and I like the idea that she's going off into the sunset and she's going to be okay I don't think the nation would have recovered if she had died Sally so we're all very grateful no. very grateful <laughs> I mean that Yeah, have gone off. it's been a very bad couple of years we just couldn't have done that can't take that um, can we just talk a little bit about your amazing female protagonists and the fact that I mean, it really intrigues me that men, on the whole, still don't read books by women, but so many people yeah. were completely invested in this series and in other programmes that you've made where women are absolutely leading the action and are more or less entirely centre stage. What, what do you think's going on here? Um, I, I, I guess it's historic and I hope it's changing. I think, I don't know, it comes down to things like and I know my mum, bless her, who's just recently died, she always talks about she'd always prefer to see a male doctor rather than a female doctor. And I'm, and I'm like, why? And she just thought men knew what they were talking about and women didn't. You know, we're led to believe that men know what they're doing and women don't. Um, I used to work with a detective inspector on Scott and Bailey and she was a fantastic policewoman and she used to give talks. And she said she often came across this thing whereby if a man stood up to talk, the men in the audience would decide if they liked him based on what he was saying and whether it was interesting. And when a woman stood up to talk, they would decide first whether they liked what the, what she looked like and then they'd decide whether they were interested in what she was saying or not. You know, I think historically that's been the case. I hope things are changing. I think things are slowly changing. Um, you know, there's, there's so much fantastic um, literature and drama written by women now. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if, you know, things are changing. I don't know. I haven't got any facts or figures. Um, Neither have we, um, so don't worry. It doesn't hold us back, Sally. It's not a problem. It's only consolation. I, I tend to read novels by women and I tend not to read novels by men. Uh, I, I guess it's often the subject matter is more appealing to me. Um, I do read novels by men, but I'm, I, I don't consciously not read novels by men, but I just find myself reading more novels by women. And I, for, from my own personal point of view, that is often the subject matter. You know, I'm not particularly interested in books about, you know, but, uh, war and battles and espionage and I'm more interested in um, you know the day-to-day -day of people's lives and the, the intricacy of people's lives and that's I guess there's a bit of a division there between men and women I've just talked right a lot about I'm sorry 
No, we enjoyed every second of it. We, we're usually the ones asking if I'm learning pot selling. <laughs> to be honest, my question wasn't all that helpful, Sally. <laughs> uh, can we go right back into your earlier life, please, Sally? Were you a good bus driver? Yeah, I was. I was really good. I love driving. I really like driving. So when you're driving a bus, it's just such a glorious machine. You know, it's got a Rolls-Royce engine. They're really beautiful things to drive. And I was nice to the... Pa- I, drive, I drove smoothly, you know, I didn't brake harshly. I read the road ahead and I liked to think I was giving people a nice smooth ride. And occasionally you did get a nice comment from little old ladies. That, oh, sometimes you get a little sweet and you cash tray, they give you sweet and say that was very nice. That happened about twice. And I tried to be polite to the customers. But there were the, the downside of the job with the customers because you got a lot of abuse, which I always took very personally, obviously. I was a bad bus driver in as much as I occasionally went off route by accident. I'm so glad you said that because I've often travelled on London buses, obviously, and you were driving the 202, weren't you, around south-west London. Would that be right? Yeah. Did the, is that where the 202 went? I can't remember now. I did drive the 202s, but I can't remember where they went. So just tell me about the thing that goes through your mind when you're driving a bus where you just think, I've been sitting in traffic too long. I'm just going to take my own little kind of route uh, I mean, does, do the passengers notice? <laughs> did, did, you know, did it give you an enormous... I mean, it's such a cheeky thing to do, isn't it, to go your own way as the driver of a bus? Well, it wasn't quite like that. It was it was an accident. I didn't do it to be cheeky. I didn't think, oh, I'll slip through here. Because I'm from Yorkshire, obviously, because you can tell from my accent. And I didn't know one end of London from the other is the truth. So every new route I had to learn, none of it was familiar, whereas a lot of the other drivers, they were actually driving along bits of you know Hounslow that they knew and I wasn't it was all brand new to me and it's you know one one bit of London is much like another so it was easy to um I think you'd got to your turn and you turned and you realized oh this is the wrong street and you can't just do a Yui with a double decker you've got to find somewhere where you can turn I once had to do a 17 point turn to get out of a cul-de-sac oh oh Sally please this is I'm gonna dream about this um how long did you drive a bus for 18 months Right. You probably you probably have lingered very fondly in the memory of your passengers, I would have thought, after that. I think I think I'm completely unmemorable as a bus driver. I went back to Hounslow Bus Garage and nobody knew who I was. That was quite exciting. And and what stage in your creative career was the bus driving? So I'd finished university. I'd taken a sleigh to the Edinburgh Festival and I'd been a sort of unofficial writer in residence at the old Leeds Playhouse for six months. Then I went down to live in London and I'd got an agent by this time from the play that I'd taken to the Edinburgh Festival, um, but no work. So I drove bus. I drove buses because I thought it would keep my brain free. So I read a lot of plays while I was a bus driver and I kept writing. And then I got asked to do a trial script on The Archers. So I resigned as a bus driver on the strength of being offered a trial script because I was young enough to to not care. I was young enough to, to think, I oh, will just get some other job if this trial script doesn't work out. But I was kind of arrogant enough to think that it would. Uh, and it did. It did work out. And I loved writing The Archers. Well, I am a massive fan of The Archers. Fee's in denial about the appeal of The Archers. Oh, yeah. is, is it true, Sunny, that you introduced violent crime to Ambridge? Oh, I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a, I did a raid on the shop. Clive Orobin held up the, the village shop. And uh, I think Debbie Aldridge and Kate Aldridge and were in there at the time. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. 
From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Our guest today is the screenwriter, Sally Wainwright. I'd like to see you, Jane, actually. This is a little test for mm. you. Try and get in a mention of The Archers in every big interview we do next week and see if you get very much take-up, because I know it frustrates you that you can't discuss it with me, but it's just, I don't listen to it. I'm never going to start listening to it. I never did listen to it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, that's the, re- that's the reaction. Anyway, let's get on with Sally. Uh, she also recently expressed concern about whether she was being paid equally to men of her stature, if indeed there is such a thing. So we asked her if she's got a way of finding out what they might be making comparatively. Well, I asked my agent, but she wouldn't tell me, obviously, because it's client confidentiality. Could you not play higher, lower, or at least get an indication? No, she wouldn't do that. But do you think that you're not being paid the same? I don't know is the truth. I honestly don't know. I like to think that I am. Well, Sally, how does it work? I mean, you, you've written you've written Happy Valley, uh, Gentleman Jack, Scott and Bailey. Could you really not be as well paid as a man? And as Fee says, there isn't really a male equivalent of you at the moment. You are the country's leading writer of TV drama. Well, we, I, you know, the, the people who are kind of at that level are all doing different you know we've all we've all kind of done slightly different things and it, and I don't know that there's ex- ever an exact equivalent so it's 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 difficult to quantify and as I said that I my only know way of finding out is to ask my agent who represents a lot of other quite people who are doing all right at the moment and um yeah I can't get anything out of her but I'll keep trying Yes, and keep us in touch on that one. <laughs> yes, please do. Because we've still got, uh, we've got banners, we've got braziers, they're ready to go in the cupboard. Uh, do you find it harder or easier to capture those extraordinary pieces of realistic dialogue, which I know you said in the past you're a great eavesdropper and you'll write down things that you hear people say, but sometimes with success comes a bit of kind of isolation from the real world because you can just afford not to live in the same place you know, that you were before. So does that change at all for you? I do worry about being out of touch. Yeah, I, I, I do worry about um, being too reclusive. I like being reclusive. I, I am quite um, private and um, you, you, you might find yourself getting out of touch and, and your only way of sort of keeping in touch is to watch telly 
and that telly isn't often real life. You know, you forget that telly isn't real life and real life is actually more interesting than that. Uh, the, the big thing for me is finding stories. It's never dialogue. I can uh, Dialogue is a funny thing. I, I don't think I'd ever not to be able to write realistic dialogue. It's more about finding stories that are very, that are of the moment, you know, that stories that reflect how people are behaving and being affected by things now. And I think it's, you do worry that you live in a, a quite a privileged bubble and it's good to just keep, keep grounded. For me, it's just talk, just chatting to friends is like the biggest source. You know, hearing little gems and snippets of things that you you couldn't you couldn't invent and you couldn't you could never dream of, and then having the kind of brain that just then develops it to the next level of what what would happen if this that and the other happened to this in this situation and that kind of thing. Do do you visit the set? Do you do you get involved when your programs are being made? Well, I direct often. The first block of Happy Valley, the re- recent season. I, I mean, I've, I've always directed Happy Valley. I directed. Episode four of the first series, I directed episodes one, two, five and six of the second season. And I ended up directing the first three of this, not by design. It was more because the director we took on board wasn't quite delivering what we wanted. So I had to step in on that. I, I often visit the set when I'm not directing, but but not uh, uh, during COVID. Obviously, that wasn't possible because hardly anyone could go on the set during COVID. But yeah, I mean, I like visiting the set and I like being involved. Um always an exec producer on my shows though because I think you've got to be across you've got to be across the detail you know and the devil's in the detail and God is in the detail you know things work when things really work well it's because people have paid real attention to the detail Can you just give us an example of that when you talk about detail what do you mean? Okay so in the first season of Happy Valley the director who was very good on the whole but there was one scene that I'd written where I'd worked really closely with a, with a police officer on how a raid would happen it was a raid on the ice cream bar. And we've put a huge amount of detail and thought into how this raid would happen to show that Catherine was leading from the front and that she got stuck in and that even though she's in her 50s, she will get her man. She will chase people down. And the director kind of didn't really pay attention to those stage directions. And it appeared that Catherine, the whole raid was a bit willy-nilly, that the cars were arriving here, you know, quite kind of quite randomly. Catherine appeared to turn up last and then... The guy she was chasing just handily ran past her car as she was opening a door. And it, and it's little things like that where, you know, the view, the average viewer isn't going to care or notice, hopefully. Because, you know, it's broadly very well done. I don't, I don't want to be too critical. But it's just an example of exactly what you've asked me. So, you know, in my mind, it was, it was, it was meant to be a really well-planned... Catherine had planned this really well so that the ice cream van was completely hemmed in that it had nowhere to go instead of which the cast arrived a bit skew if and random and the ice cream van could actually have driven away so it's, it's little things like that you know and that's a one example but and the things that go wrong when they felt when we're filming the things you could never dream of otherwise you would try and um cover them um but you know um i remember once i was filming season two of happy valley and um it, it was the scene um where Kevin Doyle threw himself off the railway bridge and there was a whole sequence before that there was a car chase I don't know if you remember there was a car chase outside Sobe Bridge Police Station and it ended up with Kevin um, running up to the police station uh, running up to the railway station running along the uh, railway line and Sarah ran after him and they ended up on the bridge where she tried to talk him down and failed and he threw himself off um, and that we were shooting that across seven uh, across three Sundays and we were really lucky with the weather because it was really bad every time it really really rained heavily across three weeks so we were lucky with the continuity on that but there was one day when um, the guy the stunt guy driving the BMW uh, crashed the gearbox 
on the BMW. So the get the BMW that we were doing the stunt thing with, that with just wouldn't go at all. And we had to wait about four hours for a replacement. And I think Sarah did a back in on the same day. And so it's things like that that go wrong all the time and you just have to deal with them and you just have to get on and you just have to think, well, what can we shoot at the moment with the limitations that we suddenly have had inflicted on? Oh, sorry, Sarah did. She hurt her back while you were doing it. So that's sorry, I didn't get that. She hurt her back. Got that now. Do you think it was a technical? I think it was a technical job. So back in separately, the BMW crashing. Sarah was like, but hardly stand up. And it's but these are things. You know, something goes wrong all the time. It's like, oh, my experience of filming is you never get a a day when everything just goes exactly as planned. Or if you do, it's like, like, yay, that happened. Sally Wainwright, who I think it's fair to say has been responsible in the last couple of years for some of my favourite telly. I loved Last Tango in Halifax. And um, I, I think loving Happy Valley, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was such powerful television. It wasn't always the easiest thing to watch, but it was fantastically powerful. And that scene, I think that will go down in, as one of the best scenes in recent contemporary TV drama, just between Tommy Lee Royce and Catherine Kaywood at the end of Happy Valley. We were waiting for it, weren't we? And we got it, and it was really satisfying. And, yeah, I think she's absolutely brilliant, Sally. And she's very much a woman who does her own thing in her own way and lives a life according to her rules. I really, I do really admire her, actually, so for everything. Don't you think that's exactly why uh, she is such a good dramatist? Because, actually, her dramas aren't really swayed by fashion. They stay true to, um, you know, universal things about people don't they? And mm. and as you said, just about house sets and stuff like that, that's not what they're about. They're not kind of flashy, uh, aspirational dramas yeah. at all. There's always a brilliant sly humour in everything she does. So Gentleman Jack, there's the brilliant, uh, the sort of character of the Timothy West character, he plays Anne Lister's father yeah and he's he's just he's a brilliant actor um but i love those scenes around the breakfast table with him i mean i just there's so much brilliance about her shows and i just think she is properly fantastic and there's that opening scene isn't there in happy valley uh, way back in season one where Catherine Kaywood goes into a local shop because there's a man threatening to set himself on fire and she buys her fire extinguisher and sunglasses and she says to him you, know, you can take yourself off to nirvana or heaven or wherever to. you're going to be you're not taking my eyebrows with you <laughs> that's brilliant i've paraphrased it yeah. but that's the gag uh, so she was a delight to talk to uh, and we appreciated her time and also do you know what it was really nice to talk to her when she wasn't in the kind of direct pr world before happy valley it was nice that we talked to her after it had all settled a tiny bit but it's hard isn't it to get hold of let's be honest about it most people who make themselves available for interview have got something something. yeah Yeah. in the mix they want to talk about and we would never do anything like that it's very tawdry it's really (laughs) beneath us what a ghastly business (laughs) it's like we wouldn't do a photo shoot just to amplify our personage at the times Uh, so let us know your thoughts particularly would you ever go out in a pair of silver leather trousers (laughs) a question my children will probably be asking me <laughs> right have a very good weekend um certainly we should help you through sunday if not the rest of it uh and we'll reconvene on monday take care You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you like what you heard and thought, hey... 
I want to listen to this, but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah, embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. 